Well, a number of years ago, there was a television show that caught my attention. It was called Long Lost Family, and it was one of these shows. I think there are numerous shows like this where, um, where usually it was families that put a child up for adoption uh, 20, maybe 30 years later, long to meet that child, and, and um, thankfully TLC could broker that deal for them. And, and so we had this show of uh, reunion and reconciliation and long-lost family members coming together. And one of the things, though, that you note as you watch these shows or even as you consider the titles of these shows, that there's something, there's something almost discouraging. And, and there's, there's, a sense of, there's a sense of discouragement and even regret on the part of some of these parents who gave up their children for adoption. And, and I want to read to you some of the titles because it's, it's, it actually makes for an interesting show and it actually makes for a sort of discouraging show. Uh, one, one title, the first episode, is called I've Waited for This Call for 45 Years. Waited for this call. Um, uh, episode three was called Nobody Knew I Existed. Episode four, I Should Have Fought Harder to Keep Her. Um, episode six, Why Did You Leave Me? And, and so on, the episodes are titled. And one of the interesting things is that um, everyone loves reconciliation stories and reunion stories. Everyone loves uh, these stories with these happy endings. But even on a show that paints this, this reconciliation, there's, there's a note of discouragement and there's a note of regret hovering over it. And, and I tell you that because the greatest reconciliation story in the scriptures in the Old Testament is the one that we are entering in on this morning. And it is one of the most marvelous stories. It is so full of emotion. It is so, it is so full of beautiful characters. You want to transport yourself back and be an eyewitness of this reconciliation of Joseph with his brothers. 22 years. 22 years have passed. 22 years, Jacob's sons have been harboring what they did to their brother when he was 17. They've been living with the reality of it. And, and we've seen most recently that God, through Joseph, who has been veiled to them as uh, this one in this position of power, that, that God has been laboring in the lives of the sons of Jacob to bring them to a place where they would recognize the guilt of their sin, where they would confess their sin. And they've done that. The last two chapters, we've seen that. We have seen that they have, they have been quickened to a God consciousness. They finally said, what is this that God is doing in our lives? And, and remember last week as we looked at God bringing them to the place of repentance that Judah made those great confessions that essentially what we've done, God has now dealt with us because of what we've done. And, and all the while, Joseph is witnessing this. He is there in the flesh. He is listening to his brothers. He is watching God at work in his brothers. He is not been speaking to them harshly in order to be vindictive. He has not uh, put the, the money back in their bag and the silver cup, the divining cup, into their bags and then accused them of taking to be vindictive. He has been an agent of God's work in the lives of the sons of Jacob. And now as we enter into chapter 45, there is this glorious reunion. And one of the things that really stands out is that there's no regret um, if, if, this, if this chapter was a show on long-lost family, 
I, I think it would be titled something like, God sent me before you to preserve your life. Or, don't argue when you go home. <laughs> there, is, there is a sense where there's nothing but joy and glory in this chapter. This is the most glorious reconciliation story. Here is Joseph who has been so mistreated by his brothers. Here is Joseph who has, been, who has been essentially killed and resurrected and then falsely accused death and then resurrection again. And he's gone through all these stages of humiliation and exaltation. And, and, and now here are the ones who first mistreated him. The brothers were told that couldn't stand to see their brother. When, when we first met the sons of Jacob there in the field, and, they, and we see them selling their brother off into slavery. They couldn't stand to see their brother. They couldn't stand to listen to their brother. And now Joseph, who has been so mistreated, becomes the initiator of God's reconciling grace in the life of the sons of Joseph. Now, um, Jacob. Now, Joseph is the deliverer. We've seen that. He is not only going to be the deliverer of his brethren, as we're going to see this morning. He is the deliverer of the world. He is the savior of the nations. He is the typological redeemer. And and as Moses fixes in now on this family reunion, on what God is doing and bringing back together these these estranged brothers from the covenant family, from the, the, the household where God had planted his promises, we're going to see two things. First, we're going to consider... We're going to consider the person of the deliverer revealed. And then secondly, we're going to see that Moses talks about the benefits of the revealed deliverer, the person of the revealed deliverer, and then the benefits. Well, notice there in verse 1 that we're told, uh, at no sooner now has Benjamin been brought near, no sooner has Judah pleaded for his brother, no sooner have the brothers repented of their sins and acknowledged their guilt and, and admitted what kind of people they've been, notice that Joseph we're told, could not control himself. He couldn't hold it back. He's been laboring to keep himself veiled from his brethren. He's been, he's been laboring to act as though he is uh, this great leader in Egypt and not their brethren. And, and notice, we've already been told that, that he wept. We're, we've, we've been told uh, on numerous occasions that he had to remove himself because of the pain in his heart. Now, what that tells us about the deliverer here in this chapter is that he had a heart full of compassion. He... he he is the only one, humanly speaking, who has a right to be vindictive and bitter. But instead, he is moved by compassion. He is, he is standing before the ones that sold him into slavery 22 years ago, who, who in a sense, scripted his horrible life. And, and yet, he has a longing for them. He has, he has he, it, the King James would say, bowels, <laughs> bowels of pity and mercy and compassion. He longs to be reconciled with his brethren. Now that's, by the way, we're going to see in Joseph that, that he models for us these beautiful pictures of what a Christian is to be like. Um, instead, of, instead of having a right to be vindictive to those who have hurt him so much, he has bowels of mercy and compassion. He has a longing to be with them. Notice, uh, Moses tells us Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Joseph wants his brothers to know it's him. 
There's that great cry, isn't it? I, and you love that. He says, it's me, it's Joseph. It's, it's me, it's Joseph. They have no idea. And, and it's, his, it's the deliverer's compassion that's driving himself to reveal himself to his brother. Now, Joseph is a type of Jesus, very clearly, very clearly. What is it that leads Jesus to reveal himself to his brethren, though they are guilty and sin-laden? What is it that leads Jesus to say, I am Jesus? It is compassion. It is everlasting mercy. It is Jesus saying, no matter how much you've done wrong to me, no matter how much mankind has done to me, no matter that it was your sin that put me on the tree, I have loved you and I have longed for you. There's, there's these beautiful parallels, aren't there? Joseph is weeping. Jesus weeps for the salvation of his people. He has a heart that is moved with compassion. Um, B.B. Warfield has a little article in which he talks about the emotional life of Jesus and, and the first part of it, it's fixated on the compassion of Jesus, the compassionate heart of the Redeemer. Though he had been so wronged, what, what causes him to reveal himself to his people is the largeness of his heart, the longing he has. You know, I, I've often thought that verse in Hebrews 12 doesn't get enough focus where um, the writer of Hebrews says, who for the joy, speaking about Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was the joy? Well, back in chapter 2, the writer says that he might bring many sons to glory. What moved Jesus to endure the cross? The thought of bringing many sons to glory, to be with him. That's how Jesus always speaks of his relationship with his disciples, how he speaks of heaven. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to you that I may receive you to myself, that I may be with you, that you may be with me. You know, that's, that's really the, the, the whole point thrown over this chapter. Joseph says to them, he says, notice, notice verse 9. He says, go to my father, say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of Egypt, come down to me. And he tells, he tells his brothers in this chapter, stay near me. You will be near me. My compassion will lead me to reveal myself to you, and you will be near me. Now, Joseph is not only a compassionate deliverer, he is an unexpected deliverer. The brothers have no idea what's coming. They thought Joseph has probably died long, long ago, died in service, in servile uh, bondage somewhere under Ishmaelite rule. They, this is the last person in the world that they think they're going to see. This is entirely unexpected. The deliverer revealing himself to them. And notice, we, we know that <laughs> because when Joseph says, hey, it's me, it's Joseph, he says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father alive? Notice the end of verse 3. But his brothers could not answer him because they were dismayed at his presence. This is where you want to be there. This is where you want to see this happening. They were dismayed at his presence. They're speechless. <laughs> I mean, this is the shock of all shockers. I am Joseph. And then later in the chapter... It says that the brothers were afraid and that Joseph has to comfort them. In verse 10, he has to say, you will be near me. 
All of you will come, your children and your children's children. And, and, and the unexpected nature of the revelation of the deliverer here in Genesis 45 is undergirded by the fact that it's God who has raised him up to be the deliverer. What enables Joseph to reveal himself with such compassion, and we're going to see in a minute with such free forgiveness and grace, what enables Joseph to do that? Notice Notice that Joseph calls his brothers near in verse 4. He says, come near to me. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold to Egypt. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Notice this, for God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve life. And then notice verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve you for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Now, Ligon Duncan says, uh, on this passage, he says, here Moses out Calvin's Calvin. Um, (laughs) Joseph out Calvin's Calvin. Joseph is the only one who shouldn't be saying what he's saying humanly. He's standing before those who put him in this predicament, and he says, don't be afraid, don't be anxious. God put me here. God was sovereign over all of this. God initiated all of this. God had a purpose in doing it. What was behind that purpose was that God was going to use me to protect you and preserve you and keep you alive and to be the deliverer. That's, that's where the unexpected nature of what's happening here comes to bear. Now, as an aside, I think when we are hurt by others, our natural response is to harbor bitterness and malice and anger. Um, Our natural response is to go through those hardships that people may, um, in a sense, bring upon us. And, And what's missing when we harbor that is what Joseph sees so clearly, that behind the agency of the brothers is God. And, and when we fail to see that, when we, when we fail to get to a place where we understand that every single situation in which I find myself is being meted out by God and is being measured out by God because God has determined every single facet of my life and your life and the lives of everyone around so that no matter what happens, I, I don't look at the secondary agency and that's all that I see. Because... That's all that the brothers have been seeing to this point. And now in the revelation of the deliverer, and isn't this marvelous? When does God's sovereign purposes come to bear? At this point, it's in the revelation of the deliverer. When when does the doctrine of God's sovereignty come to its most grand and glorious establishment and revelation? It's in the revelation of the deliverer. I, I think that's important because, again... Here, Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ. And remember, it's as Jesus is revealing himself in his post-resurrection manifestations and the apostles and in the post-resurrection preaching, how, how Peter says to those who crucified Jesus, you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, that you took him by lawless hands. You, you crucified the holy and the just one, but God raised him up because God's eternal purpose and determination were at work behind what you did. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful that 
that the worst things men can do, God has a purpose of working it out for the good of all of his people, including those who did this. Now, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? The very ones who did the evil to Joseph are now the beneficiaries of the deliverance of Joseph. The very ones who, humanly speaking, were the agency of putting Joseph in this awful predicament are now the ones God is blessing through the deliverance he's bringing about with Joseph. And what a God we serve. What, who, who could do that? Who, you know, the show I mentioned, I mean, the titles... They, they don't have this. Why did we give him up? I thought I'd never see him again. They, they're missing this. This is what we have as Christians. This is it. And so the deliverance is unexpected because it is the work of God. But then notice that Joseph is being revealed as the forgiving deliverer. Notice that he is so quick to forgive his brothers. Notice he says... In verse 5, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Um, what enables someone to forgive like that? I mean, that's, I've talked to you often in this church about um, forgiveness seems like it's such a rare thing. Um, how infrequently we hear even believers asking each other to forgive each other. And yet, Jesus says that's such a, a crucial aspect of our Christian life, that that those who are forgiven of much love much and forgive much. That those that don't forgive have lost sight of their own need for forgiveness. That those who recognize how much they've been forgiven of are so ready to extend forgiveness to others. And, and Joseph here, though the text doesn't say it, I, I think we have to presuppose that. That Joseph recognizes how much he's been forgiven of. Joseph can forgive his brothers, not only because he recognizes the purposes of God, but because he recognizes how much he had personally been forgiven of, how much wrong he had done in life, and how much he needed redemption. And so he is the forgiving deliverer, and that automatically, doesn't it, brings our mind again to the Lord Jesus, though he needed no forgiveness. He hung on the cross, and and as they're nailing Jesus to the tree, I've 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 always been... I've always been astonished at this, that in the process of nailing Jesus to the tree, it says, as they were crucifying him, he cried out, Father, forgive them. In the very act of them crucifying the Son of God, the first words on his lips are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And, and the first preaching of the gospel after his resurrection is to those same people there who were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. That is astonishing. That is astonishing. And I think we have something of an intimation and a picture of that here. In Genesis 45, Joseph is forgiving freely. And, and notice he knows, it's, it's interesting, he's not only uh, revealing himself as the forgiving deliverer, he is revealing himself as the comforting deliverer. So, so he, is, he is all of these things. He is, the, he is the compassionate deliverer, the unlikely deliverer, the forgiving deliverer. He is then the comforting deliverer. He knows that his brothers are going to be weighed down with the guilt of what they did. Listen very carefully. The Puritans used to say, that the, the, the worst thing in the world was the gnawing worm of a guilty conscience. I have known that. If you're a Christian, perhaps you have known that. The gnawing worm of a guilty conscience. 
You get a sense that Joseph understands the the psychology of the Christian's heart here. The brothers have admitted their fault. They've acknowledged their sin. He's revealed himself to them. He's forgiven them. And then he says to them, do not be angry with yourself because you sold me here. And then again, notice, and I think this is one of those little details you don't want to miss, verse 24. He sends them back to his father and he says, do not quarrel on the way. Now, what's that about? I think Joseph knows that that the inclination of his brothers is going to be like, I told you we shouldn't have done this. You did it, and we should have listened to Reuben. We should have listened. So, look, you guys did this. This is on you. And he understands that they're going to be trying to deal with the guilt. And isn't it interesting? He says, do not be angry with yourselves. And he says, do not quarrel with each other on the way. Now, I don't think that Joseph is teaching us in this passage that no matter what anybody does, we should just be like, don't worry about it. God's really forgiving. I don't think he's saying that. See, Joseph understands they've already repented. He understands God's already begun a work of grace in their lives. They've admitted their faults. They've said, essentially, have mercy on us. We're sinners. And, and so he is speaking to them as those that have acknowledged the guilt of their sin. He's speaking to them as those who are acknowledging we are not honest men. Remember, that's what they said about themselves. Remember that, that humorous little line? They're like, Father, we told him we're honest men. And, and then they come to that place where they say, look, what has God done to us? What, it's all come, we are not good men. And so Joseph is treating them as those who have already become beneficiaries of God's redeeming grace. And there, there's a word here for us. There is a word here. You know, one thing we do at New Covenant in going through the reading of the law and the confession of sin and the assurance of pardon every week, we, we need the greater Joseph to say to us, don't be angry with yourselves. I've forgiven your sins. I need that every day of my life. I need that. We need him to say, you've owned up to your sin, you've confessed your sin, I've already taken your sin on myself. There's this little phrase in Second um, Peter 1 where Peter is charging believers to be growing in grace, and he says that we're to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge godliness and godliness brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness love. And he says, if these things are yours and abound, you're neither going to be barren nor unfruitful in the revelation of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter says, but he who lacks these things is short-sighted even unto blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So Peter says what hinders growth in grace is forgetting that Christ has atoned for our sins. That if, if I forget that he has legally and judicially paid for all of my sin and taken all of the guilt and all of the power and all of the corruption and all of the shame, and I forget that, I'm not going to grow in grace. I'm going to argue on the way. I'm going to be angry, and I'm going to be living with this gnawing conscience. Now, now if, we, if we've gone to the greater Joseph, if we've gone to the greater Joseph, we have the assurance that we're forgiven. And Jesus says to us, Do not be angry because you sold me here. God has sent me before you to preserve life. Well, 
Uh, Joseph is also the intimate and affectionate deliverer. He is being revealed as the intimate and affectionate deliverer. Now, this is, this is also supremely important because it's conceivable that Joseph could have said, and we have to do this, he could have said, you know what, it turned out good for me. Pharaoh even comes to me. I'm a father to Pharaoh. He says that. God's made me a father of Pharaoh. So you know what? You guys just go home. It'll be all right. Don't worry about it. But there is this deep affection and intimacy in Joseph toward his brothers. It's, it's supernatural. Um, notice the language. It says in verse uh, 14, he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Now, that, that's understandable, right? This is his younger brother from his biological mother, Rachel. This is, this is, this is his only true flesh and blood brother from the same father and mother. And, and he falls on Benjamin's neck and he weeps and he kisses him. And, and these are two grown men. These are grown men showing affection. And then you might think, well, he might, he might just turn and, and he might say, and Judah, thank you for being so humble. Judah, thank you for standing in the gap. Judah, thank you for offering to, to stand in the place of Benjamin. Thank you for leading the charge and doing what is right. And come here and, and you could imagine him hugging and affectionately kissing Judah and saying, thank you, Judah. Thank you for persuading my brothers not to kill me. But notice what the text says in verse 15. He kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. That's, that's amazing. He kissed all of his brothers. He went down the line and he showed affection. He's the affectionate deliverer. You know, there is, there is a movement, and it's a very tragic movement in my opinion, to strip Jesus out of the Song of Solomon and to say, you know, any thought of Jesus kissing me. I had a very well-known theologian actually say to me once as, we discussed um, whether Christ can be taught out of the Song of Songs. And he said, I think it's perverse to think of Jesus kissing me with the kisses of his lips. Well, if you think that's perverse, then you have to think Joseph kissing his brothers is perverse. Um, there is affection in the Redeemer. There is intimacy and affection I want to think of Jesus having affectionate desire for me as the younger brother that he redeems, as, as one he brings back into the Father's house, as one for whom he has shed his blood. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And so there is affection and there is there is intimacy. Notice that all of this takes place in privacy, in close confines. And, and I want to unpack this just briefly before we look at, at a few of the benefits here of the deliverance. And um, all of this happens. Remember, at the very beginning of this chapter, Joseph says to all of the Egyptian um, servants in his house and everyone in the house there, he says, get away. And he reveals himself to his brothers in privacy. Now, I think that is part of the intimacy we're talking about, that that he reveals himself to his brothers intimately, that when, when Jesus makes himself known to us, he, he does so uh, privately, as it were. He reveals himself intimately and in, and in a, a very personal way to his people. I think that's a picture of that, that when Jesus opens the eyes of our hearts and he says, it, it, I am Jesus. I, I've told you in the past, I'll, I'll never forget being uh, redeemed out of darkness and 
so much darkness and brought into light and sitting on on um, a couch reading the parable of the treasure in the field and 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 Jesus revealing himself to me from the scriptures because that's how he reveals himself is in the scriptures and and I remember thinking he was there the whole time and I didn't see him and it was just me sitting there on the couch reading my Bible and Jesus for the first time revealed himself to me he was the treasure he was there the whole time and I couldn't see him and and you think of the way he does this on the road to Emmaus with the two as he's walking and they're conversing. And just like with Joseph, they can't see. They, they, he's, he's in a different form and they don't know that it's Jesus. And, and he opens the scriptures and he begins to teach them. And there's this beautiful picture of intimacy there. It's, it's, it is the intimate deliverer revealing himself to his disciples. And as he opens uh, the, the law and the Psalms and the prophets and all of the Old Testament shows them the things about himself in the scriptures and, and they have their eyes open in the breaking of the bread, he reveals himself in, in, in that close, intimate setting through the means of his grace. And, and they say, did not our hearts burn within us? And I think there is an analogy between Joseph's intimate disclosure of himself as the deliverer to his brothers and the way that Jesus typically works in revealing himself to his brethren. We'll notice that the passage also gives us these, uh, gives us these benefits of redemption. And uh, very interesting, one of the things, and we've already kind of touched on this, is that there's joy. There's joy covering this chapter. Everything about it is joyful. Joseph, he, he goes and he tells Pharaoh and, and he tells the other Egyptians and they're all rejoicing. Everyone's happy that this reconciliation's happened. Everyone's happy that, that Joseph has revealed himself as the deliverer and now the long estranged and alienated brethren have been brought together again. And I think that's a picture of gospel joy. There is always gospel joy and Notice that there is provision that Joseph promises. He says in verse 11, I will provide for you for there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household, all that you have do not come to poverty. He promises them provisions. They're going to be sustained. They're going to be cared for. They're going to be nurtured. They're going to be fed. This is, this is part of the benefit of him being the deliverer. They become the beneficiaries. They become, they become the objects of, of receiving undeserved provisions. All because Joseph wants them to have it. And that's a picture, again, of Jesus saying he is the bread that came down from heaven and, and that he gives us wine and milk without money and without price. And he continues to provide. He says, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll nourish you. I'll sustain you. To him who overcomes, I'll give to eat of the hidden manna and I'll give him to eat of the tree of life. And he, he is the provision from God for us. He says, stay with me and you'll be provided for. With me, there is abundant provision. And, and there is an overwhelming provision. There is, it, it's almost too good to be true. How can we go from these brothers 22 years ago selling Joseph into slavery to now he, he goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, listen, send them back with full uh, containers and, and send them back with wagons. Think of a Gulfstream jet. He says, Send them back with my Gulfstream jets. These are not little wagons. These are massive chariots. These are, they don't make them anymore, sadly, Hummers. 
These are Hummers. And they're saying, send them back full, loaded down. All the provision, the blessing of the Gentiles coming on God's people. And, and there's more benefit. It is Jew and Gentile living together in peace and harmony. The best land. Pharaoh says, give them the best land. Notice, why is that important? Notice the last verse of chapter 46. They stay in the land. They stay in Goshen, which is the best, most fruitful part. Notice this. Joseph tells him what to say. You should say your servants have been keepers of livestock from your youth, even till now, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So they were shepherds. They should be an abomination to Egypt. But God's favor makes even their enemies to be at peace with them. And there is a prelude of God's grace bringing together Jew and Gentile under the deliverer, with all of his blessing and all of his provision, all of his nurture, all of his care, and all of his grace. Now, John Owen somewhere essentially says that the greatest, the greatest hindrance to our Christian life is that we live below the level of privilege that is already ours in Christ. He actually says that not knowing or unknowing or unrecognizing the benefits we have in Christ is our sin that it's, it's, a, it's a hindrance to us, that um, we forget. We forget, what happened when the deliverer made himself known to me? Well, he showed me his compassionate heart. He showed me the eternal purposes of God. He showed me all of his kindness and forgiveness. He showed me all of his affection. He showed me all of his provision. And then all the benefits that come with belonging to Jesus Christ. They're all mine. They're all yours. Um, you get a sense when you read the apostles that they're trying to stir that up in you. That when you read Romans 8, and, and in this life there's suffering and hardship and difficulty and affliction, and, and nations hate us, and people hate Christians, and, and all day long we're counted as sheep for the slaughter, and yet in all these things we're more than conquerors, and everything's ours, and all of creation is groaning and travailing in labor pains until now for the revealing of the sons of God, the full redemption. And, and you get a sense that Paul is trying to explain these things. Uh, Eric Alexander, in one of his really profound illustrations, says, it's as if the Apostle Paul ransacks the universe to look for illustrations to explain what has happened to Christians and the benefits that we have. And the only thing he can do in, in 2 Corinthians is he can go back to what happens at creation when light shines out of darkness. And he says, it is the God who shone light out of darkness, who has shone into our hearts, the light of the knowledge of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And it's as if Paul can't even garner up illustrations to help understand the greatness of the blessing of what has happened and what is ours in Christ. And so this morning as we, as we step out of this and we consider, first of all, and I have to ask this, have you ever come to terms with the fact that you need to be reconciled to God and that it's only in Jesus Christ? Um, Reconciliation is, is um, the great need of our souls. Um, John Bunyan, 
who knew something of the wickedness of his own heart, said that in his autobiography, he was out in a field walking, and, and he said, um, I was musing on the wickedness of my heart and blasphemy toward God. And, and he said, that thought came to me out of Colossians 1. He has made peace through the blood of his cross. And he said, and I was made to see both again and again and again that day that God and my soul were friends and could kiss through that blood. Isn't that beautiful? God and my soul are friends and can kiss through the blood. That's what we need. And, and then once that's ours, we need to recognize that it's Christ who has revealed himself. That he's the deliverer. And that he has done everything for us and continues to. And, you know, there's this great verse in, in Psalm 85 as we consider the benefit of him saying... Um, I've taken the guilt of your sin upon myself. Psalm 85, it says, I will hear what God the Lord says to his people, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. That's what Joseph did to his brothers. That's what Jesus does if you're in Christ by faith. He speaks peace to you. Yes, he rebukes us for our sin. He chastens us for our sin. But he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have purchased you with my blood. You are mine. Whatever you've done, I've forgiven it. And then finally, I want to encourage you to meditate on the great benefits that you have in Jesus Christ, the benefits of him being the deliverer, that he's done everything. And, and there's a day coming when, when everything Christ has accomplished on the cross will be made gloriously, uh, will be set in glorious view before all of us, the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth in which righteousness dwells. The reconciliation of those things in heaven and those on earth, in Jesus, that he has planned and purposed, that one day the veil will be torn back and all the benefits will be shown. And all you'll see is blessing. Isn't that amazing? That's all, if you belong to Jesus, if he has revealed himself to you, all you will see is the blessing that has accrued from his redeeming work as God's deliverer. God sent me so that you may not die, so that you may prosper, so that you may be safe. Let him who has ears to hear this morning, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this portion of your word, and we pray that you would give us greater understanding of these things, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would reveal yourself again to us, even those of us to whom you have already revealed yourself, that you would again, reveal more of yourself to us and that you would reveal the largeness of your heart to us as we come to the table this morning. We pray that you would reveal yourself to each and every man and woman and boy and girl in this place and that we would know you as the only redeemer, the one who, though you suffered much for our sin, have been exalted and uh, who are, even now, who is pouring out your blessing on your people. And so, Lord Jesus, open our eyes to see you and to hear you and to understand all that we have in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.